Welcome back to Dark Britain, and this special bonus episode for Guy Fawkes Night. This is a story of religious turmoil, a plot to kill a king, and an execution so cruel it would keep the victim from heaven. This is the story of Guy Fawkes and the gunpowder plot. And it's a well-known story, right? I'm sure all of our listeners know what we're talking about when we say the 5th of November. But it's one that's too easily forgotten, and the festivity of the fireworks, bonfires, often distract us from the day's actual significance. I mean, this would have been the greatest act of domestic treason that Britain had ever seen. Um, they would have killed the reigning king, James I, the Prince of Wales, destroyed the House of Parliament, and taken most of the surrounding area with it, meaning London, as we know it, would be completely different. Mm. This was a plot with massive potential. So the question is, why? Why did Guy Fawkes and his crew attempt to blow up Parliament, and why did it go wrong? Yeah, well, when, when we're approaching this story, we need to have a bit of a perspective shift. Nowadays, religion is an optional lifestyle choice that may or may not have any real bearing in someone's life. But back in 1605, the Stuart era, when the plot began, it was almost the exact opposite. Religion was the very air that you would breathe. Almost every standard that governed your life was religious, and almost every decision that you made was based on what the church or God would have thought about it. For years, religion had been the focus of political debate, the struggle for royal succession, and mass persecution. At the crux mm -hmm. of the issue was the rivalry between Catholicism and Protestantism. Would you maybe be able to tell us a little bit more about where that came from? Yeah, so we can look back to the reign of Henry VIII. Um, about 75 years before the gunpowder plot, he broke with the church in Rome to be able to divorce his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. This then spiralled the church into reform, catalysed by the Reformation that was sweeping across mainland Europe. Protestantism was now the primary religious denomination of the official church. When Henry died, his son Edward ascended. He was a devout Protestant and for a young boy, like a real zealot. Um, <laughs> he died young, creating a power vacuum that looked dangerously like it might be filled with a Catholic, Mary. So... Lady Jane Grey was pronounced Edward's successor, attempting to maintain Protestant rule. Mary wasn't going to stand by and let this happen, leading a coup that led to Lady Jane Grey's execution just nine days later, which is where we get the phrase queen for nine days, although she mm. actually wasn't crowned. So during Mary I's reign, who was a fervent Catholic and daughter of Catherine of Aragon, there was intense prosecution of Protestants um, and... Her successor was Elizabeth, of course, um, Queen Elizabeth I. And then her successor was James VI of Scotland and James I of England, which united the two, which was like a pretty big thing then, given, you know, given the four nations. So he, James I and VI, he actually supported the new denomination of Anglicism and began to pull back on the Catholic persecution. This didn't stop radical Catholic dissidents from attempting multiple times to end his life. 
And what's interesting about this is that it actually fed into James's sense of paranoia. These attempts on his life, he, he used that to catalyze his view that he was under attack. Um, because after getting caught in a storm at sea when he was uh, traveling over to Denmark to pick up his wife, um, he was caught in this storm and he believed that it uh, was started by demonic powers or by witches. Mm -hmm. And so he became convinced that he was hunted by the darker side of the spiritual realm. Uh, in fact, he actually wrote a treatise on witchcraft and uh, the, the darker side of the spirits called Demonology uh, in an attempt to convince others of his own beliefs. He launched witch trials and witch hunts across the country, uh, Scotland, and when he ascended to the English throne, he passed the Witchcraft Act in 1604 which punished any and all practices of magic. A first offence actually carried the death penalty by hanging. And this was a massive shift from the rules that had been instituted by Elizabeth, who was much more lax about the mm -hmm. witchcraft uh, during her reign. Yeah. Um, on his paranoia, didn't he, like, used to just wear clothes over clothes over clothes? Like, he got the reputation of being quite smelly in court because he was so, like, scared of getting stabbed. Um, so the sea thing, the clothes thing, he seems a bit of a basket case by modern standards, right? Yeah, he was incredibly paranoid that someone was out to get him. And at worst, it might even be the devil himself. <laughs> and yeah. what's interesting is that the position of the king was viewed as a inherently holy position. Everything about the world of 1605 was inherently religious. So the king was viewed as God's own representative on earth. And in yeah. the chain of being, which was this diagram that showed the, the hierarchy of creation, um, it goes God, angels, then the king or queen. So an act of treason against the king was, in a sense, an act of treason against God. What we need yeah. to understand is that the plot to kill the king was potentially the most spiritually suicidal thing a person could do. And so it brings a massive sense of weight to the gunpowder plot. It wasn't just created on a whim or a spur of the moment rash decision. This was an endeavor with massive implications, both physically sure. and spiritually. So this is the dark religious turmoil that was the background, the setting for the gunpowder plot. Would you be able to walk us through the story of the actual plot itself? Mm -hmm, of course. So Robert Catesby, who was a fervent Catholic, recruited 12 other men and began to plot to kill the king. The plan was to blow up the Houses of Parliament at the state opening and use it as a launch pad for a popular revolt, which would replace the now dead king with a Catholic monarch. One of the first men he recruited was Guy Fawkes, a radicalised former soldier. Fawkes took charge of this in 1604 and he began to dig a mine underneath Parliament during that summer. So it was a plan long time in the making, right? It wasn't just, mm. we're going to do this tomorrow. So mm. it's it's so much deeper than we realise, as we've just explained with the circumstances. So by 1605, the team had rented a coal cellar beneath the House of the Lords and transported 36 barrels of gunpowder into it. They loaded up 2,500 kilograms of gunpowder into the cellar. 
The stage and the cellar were set. Guy Fawkes was in place and London was about to be blown to pieces and the country thrown into revolution. So why did it not succeed? Because it seems like this planning was, was quite impressive. So what went wrong? It's one of those classic group projects where everything is thought out and then it's just this one person (laughs) completely ruins it all. And that one person was Francis Tresham. So he was basically a bit nervous about the plot and he had misgivings. So he sent an anonymous letter to the Catholic Lord Monteagle warning him of the plot. And of course, Monteagle wasn't just going to sit on this information and go, do you know what? I won't turn up today and I'll I'll let it go ahead anyway. So uh, he sort of told And this resulted in Falk's arrest and the hunting and gunning down of the Catesby's crew. Wow. Wow. So Guy Fawkes was caught, Mm -hmm. match in hand, moments away from blowing up (laughs) the Houses of Parliament. And he and a few other of the conspirators were taken immediately to the Tower of London, where they would be brutally tortured for about three months. Mm. And, And when we're talking about the torture there, it's really really bad you've got the rack and you've got all these awful techniques that they were using and so the torture was actually so brutal that it led to Guy Fawkes being unable to even write his own name Mm. and so after an incredibly short trial he and the other conspirators that were with him were taken to the scaffold they were hung drawn and quartered and this execution itself was again inherently religious. In Stuart, England, if someone was hung, drawn and quartered, it was believed that it made it impossible for them to go to heaven and it made them completely ineligible for earth as well. So you're left stranded in the abyss of death. Mm -hmm. And this leaves a bit of a different lens on the celebrations Mm -hmm. of Guy Fawkes Night. Um, But this celebration itself, where did that come from because everyone knows it everyone does it but where did it come Mm -hmm. from yeah so we celebrate the 5th of november every year because in 1606 an act was passed which declared that november the 5th shall be recognized as a day of thanksgiving acknowledgement of the fact that king james the first life and many others including the prince of wales were spared So the commemoration eventually settled for bonfires and fireworks as a hallmark of the celebration, as they seemed appropriate given the amounts of gunpowder used. And of course, gunpowder is essentially fireworks. What's interesting about the celebrations is that as time progressed, it was only until 1959 that it was illegal not to celebrate Bonfire Night in Britain, which means until that point, it was law that you had to celebrate this day. Okay. The only time that this was not in place was, of course, during the wars um, so that you didn't give away your your position. And the one exemption to this rule was um, St. Peter's School in York, which is where Guy Fawkes attended. Um, So they were excused from from burning a portrait of their former pupil. Um, So that sort of gives you a summary of the celebrations way over time bar the wars, which is pretty mad. That's crazy. In 1959 as well. I mean, that's that's pretty late to be, you know, legislating national celebrations. Like it was it was illegal to not celebrate Guy Fawkes Night, which is kind of a, a crazy idea to us in this modern world. Wild. It's always mad to me as well, because obviously the Second World War was such a big moment of change. 
you'd mm. think having not done it for five years, they'd go, do you know what? We'll, we'll knock that on the head. Alas, <laughs> not. It continued for, you know, almost 15 more years, which is pretty, pretty mad. So yeah. thank you to everyone at home for listening to this bonus mini episode of Dark Britain. We hope that you found it interesting and have a fantastic night tonight. Hope you've got some great plans. And we'll see you in the next one. See you later. Bye.